Long History, a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama. Part 7, Trust and the King of Melindi. Welcome to Long History, and here we're looking at Vasco da Gama, who is one of the three key explorers from the European Age of Exploration, the other two being Magellan and Columbus. Now we've covered documents about those other two explorers, but this is the first time we've looked at Vasco da Gama. And this is Vasco da Gama's first voyage. This is the one where he beats previous records, heading round the southern tip of Africa, up the East African coast and then across to India. And in this way he establishes a new sea route towards the Far East for Europeans. We're on to episode 7 of a 15-part series, so please do subscribe to be informed of when the remaining episodes are released. And in the previous episode, Vasco da Gama, having beat the previous record held by Bartholomew Diaz, is now heading literally into new waters for the Portuguese. He was heading up the East African coast and had reached Mombasa. So here we go with a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 7, Trust and the King of Melindi. Mombasa On Saturday we cast anchor off Mombasa, but did not enter the port. No sooner had we been perceived than a Zavra, manned by Moors, came out to us. In front of the city there lay numerous vessels, all dressed in flags. And we, anxious not to be outdone, also dressed our ships, and we actually surpassed their show, for we wanted in nothing but men even the few whom we had being very ill. We anchored here with much pleasure, for we confidently hoped that on the following day we might go on land and hear mass jointly with the Christians reported to live there, under their own Al-Qaeda, in a quarter separate from that of the Moors. The pilots who had come with us told us there resided both Moors and Christians in this cities, that these latter lived apart under their own lords, and that on our arrival they would receive us with much honour and take us to their houses. But they said this for a purpose of their own, for it was not true. At midnight there approached us a Zavra with about a hundred men, all armed with cutlasses, tarsados, and bucklers. When they came to the vessel of the Captain Major, they attempted to board her armed as they were, but this was not permitted, only four or five of the most distinguished men among them being allowed on board. They remained about a couple of hours, and it seemed to us that they paid us this visit merely to find out whether they might not capture one or the other of our vessels. On Palm Sunday, the King of Mombasa sent the Captain Major a sheep and large quantities of oranges, lemons and sugar cane, together with a ring, as a pledge of safety, letting him know that in case of his entering the port, he would be supplied with all he stood in need of. This present was conveyed to us by two men, almost white, who said they were Christians, which appeared to be the fact. The Captain Major sent the King a string of coral beads as a return present, and let him know that he purposed entering the port on the following day. On the same day, the Captain Major's vessel was visited by four moors of distinction. 
Two men were sent by the Captain Major to the King, still further to confirm these peaceful assurances. When these landed, they were followed by a crowd as far as the gates of the palace. Before reaching the King, they passed through four doors, each guarded by a doorkeeper with a drawn cutlass. The King received them hospitably and ordered that they should be shown over the city. They stopped on their way at the house of two Christian merchants, who showed them a paper, carta, an object of their adoration, on which was a sketch of the Holy Ghost. When they had seen all, the king sent them back with samples of cloves, pepper and corn, with which articles he would allow us to load our ships. On Tuesday, when weighing anchor to enter the port, the Captain Major's vessel would not pay off, and struck the vessel which followed astern. We therefore again cast anchor. When the Moors, who were in our ship, saw that we did not go on, they scrambled into a Zavra attached to our stern, whilst the two pilots whom we had brought from Mozambique jumped into the water, and were picked up by the men in the Zavra. At night, the Captain Major questioned two Moors, whom we had on board, by dropping boiling oil upon their skin, so that they might confess any treachery intended against us. They said that orders had been given to capture us as soon as we entered the port, and thus to avenge what we had done at Mozambique. And when this torture was being applied a second time, one of the Moors, although his hands were tied, threw himself into the sea, whilst the other did so during the morning watch. About midnight, two Almadias with many men in them approached. The Almadias stood off whilst the men entered the water, some swimming in the direction of the Berrio, others in that of the Rafael. Those who swam to the Berrio began to cut its cable. The men on watch thought at first that they were tunnyfish, but when they perceived their mistake they shouted to the other vessels. The other swimmers had already got hold of the rigging of the mizzenmast. Seeing themselves discovered, they silently slipped down and fled. These and other wicked tricks were practised upon us by these dogs, but our Lord did not allow them to succeed, because they were unbelievers. Mombasa is a large city seated upon an eminence washed by the sea. Its port is entered daily by numerous vessels. At its entrance stands a pillar, and by the sea a low-lying fortress. Those who had gone on shore told us that in the town they had seen many men in irons, and it seemed to us that these must be Christians, as the Christians in that country are at war with the Moors. The Christian merchants in the town are only temporary residents, and are held in much subjection. They being not allowed to do anything except by the order of the Moorish king. It pleased God in his mercy that on arriving at this city all our sick recovered their health, for the climate air of this place is very good. After the malice and treachery planned by these dogs had been discovered, we still remained on Wednesday and Thursday.
Mombasa to Malindi. We left in the morning, the wind being light, and anchored about eight leagues from Mombasa, close to the shore. At break of day, we saw two boats, barcas, about three leagues to the leeward in the open sea, and at once gave chase, with the intention of capturing them, for we wanted to secure a pilot who would guide us to where we wanted to go. At vesper time, we came up with one of them and captured it, the other escaping towards the land. In the one we took, we found 17 men besides gold, silver and an abundance of maize and other provisions. There's also a young woman, who was the wife of an old moor of distinction, who was a passenger. When we came up with the boat, they all threw themselves into the water, but we picked them up from our boats. That same day, at sunset, we cast anchor off a place called Milinde, which is 30 leagues from Mombasa. The following places are between Mombasa and Milinde, viz. Benapa, Tosa and Nugo Kionyete. Melindi On Easter Sunday, the Moors, whom we had taken in the boat, told us that there were at this city of Melinde four vessels belonging to Christians from India, and that if it pleased us to take them there, they would provide us, instead of them, Christian pilots, and all we stood in need of, including water, wood and other things. The Captain Major much desired to have pilots from the country, and having discussed the matter with his Moorish prisoners, he cast anchor off the town, at a distance of about half a league from the mainland. The inhabitants of the town did not venture to come aboard our ships, for they had already learnt that we had captured a vessel and made her occupants prisoners. On Monday morning, the Captain Major had the old moor taken to a sandbank in front of the town, where he was picked up by an almadilla. The moor explained to the king the wishes of the Captain Major, and how much he desired to make peace with him. After dinner, the moor came back in a zavra, accompanied by one of the king's cavaliers and a sharif. He also brought three sheep. These messengers told the captain-general that the king would rejoice to make peace with him and to enter into friendly relations, that he would willingly grant to the captain-major all his country afforded, whether pilots or anything else. The captain-major upon this sent word that he proposed to enter the port on the following day and forwarded by the king's messengers a present consisting of a balandrao, two strings of coral, three wash-hand basins, a hat, little bells, and two pieces of lambel. Consequently, on Tuesday, we approached nearer to the town. The king sent the Captain Major six sheep, besides quantities of cloves, cumin, ginger, nutmeg and pepper, as also a message telling him that if he desired to have an interview with him, he, the king, would come out in his zafra, when the Captain Major could meet him in a boat. On Wednesday, after dinner, when the King came up close to the ships in Azavra, the Captain Major at once entered one of his boats, which had been well furnished, 
and many friendly words were exchanged when they lay side by side. The king, having invited the captain major to come to his house to rest, after which he, the king, would visit him on board his ship, the captain major said that he was not permitted by his master to go on land, and if he were to do so, a bad report would be given of him. The king wanted to know what would be said of himself by his people, if he were to visit the ships, and what account could he render them. He then asked for the name of our king, which was written down for him, and said that on our return he would send an ambassador with us, or a letter. When both had said all they desired, the Captain Major sent for the Moors whom he had taken prisoner and surrendered them all. This gave much satisfaction to the King, who said that he valued this act more highly than if he had been presented with a town. And the King, much pleased, made the circuit of our ships, the bombards of which fired a salute. About three hours were spent in this way. When the king went away, he left in the ship one of his sons and a sharif, and took two of us away with him, to whom he desired to show his palace. He, moreover, told the captain that as he would not go on shore, he would himself return on the following day to the beach, and would order his horsemen to go through some exercises. The king wore a robe, royal cloak of damask, trimmed with green satin, and a rich tusa. He was seated on two cushioned chairs of bronze, beneath a round sunshade of crimson satin attached to a pole. An old man who attended him as page carried a short sword in a silver sheath. There were many players on anafils, and two trumpets of ivory, richly carved, and of the size of a man, which were blown from a hole in the side, and made sweet harmony with the anafils. In this episode, we see an early description of Mombasa, described as Mombasa is a large city seated upon an eminence washed by the sea. Its port is entered daily by numerous vessels. After visiting Mombasa, the Gama moves on to Malindi, and here he manages to establish direct relations with the local king. In the next episode, Vasco da Gama's historic route continues and takes on even more significance as he crosses the gulf over to India. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Long History everyone. Please before you move on do give it a like and share it if you know of anyone who's interested in this sort of thing. Above all, thank you for listening. This was a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 7, Trust and the King of Malindi. Goodbye.